Um, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to kick off. Um, so Father God, I want to thank you for your presence with us in worship. God, we love to be face to face with you and we're so grateful that you have made a way for us to come close to you. Lord, I also thank you that your word, scripture, is powerful. Lord, and when we listen to your word, God, it always changes us. That's a promise. So, Father God, what I pray today is that in, in many ways that I'll get out of the way of the power of your word, God, and that all of us as a church, as a people, will hear that voice from heaven spoken in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I'm going to start with a question. What do you need most today? Someone knows the answer to the question. <laughs> it's a good answer. What comes to your mind when I say that? Do you think about having a bit of extra money to get through the month? Or maybe the job you want? A few minutes of peace and quiet away from your children? A few hours to relax and de-stress? Maybe a few less responsibilities or your health to be a bit better? Perhaps what you really want is to go back a few years and kind of have it all over again. There's a list of our needs, and it seems nearly endless. It seems important, and it seems really obvious. In Luke 5, Jesus meets a man with a very obvious need. So the man is paralyzed completely. He has no hope of getting a job. No hope of finding a partner or getting better or really any of the things that we might hope for. So it's really clear what he needs. He needs to be healed. It's so obvious to us. But it isn't that obvious to Jesus. So Jesus doesn't come up to the man and tell him to get up and walk. Not straight away. He tells him something different. We've probably all heard this story a hundred times before, but I want you to imagine reading it for the first time. What do you think Jesus should give to this man? Jesus does something unexpected. Jesus tells the man that his sins are forgiven. I think we're meant to be surprised by that. We live in a world that doesn't generally see sin as much of a problem, let alone the biggest problem. And I think maybe with our bills to pay and our, our children to clothe and our subjects to study and our marriages to, to fix, we all have a little bit of deep down sympathy with that as a view. And that is more what we are facing in the passage today, right? This isn't some neat theological question to answer. It's a man's life. He, a man who is profoundly disabled in a society that doesn't really understand that very well. Yet Jesus doesn't first choose to heal him and solve all of those painful problems. Jesus chooses first to say, your sins are forgiven. Because to Jesus, that was more important. That isn't so much surprising as shocking, actually. When I read it, I'm a little bit shocked by that. That's not what I thought would happen. Now, maybe you know in this story that Jesus eventually does heal the man and um, I'm, I'm with Lynn for what it's worth. Praise God that God does heal. And he heals today. And if we trust him, he will heal us. And we've seen testimonies of that today. But the question of today's passage is this. 
Would we feel differently if Jesus had never healed the man? Would you agree that Jesus had done the most important thing? Because instinctively, I think we all feel a little bit like the man had been cheated out of a miracle. And surely that Jesus hadn't quite done enough. Maybe what that shows is we're not quite as convinced as Jesus is that forgiveness is our deepest need. And that's the thought I couldn't shake when I was thinking about this passage this week. Jesus is so convinced of that that he chooses forgiveness over physical healing. And I wonder if we would have made the same choice for that man. I wonder if we would make the same choice for ourselves. Would we trade our ability to walk for forgiveness? What about the house that we want? Our child's school place, passing our exams, the affections of the person that we're attracted to? What about the love of our parents, our freedom? What about our lives? Jesus uses powerful imagery. He says that it would be better if our hand causes us to sin, that we would cut it off and enter heaven one-handed than be in hell with both hands. He says if our eye causes us to sin, it would be better for us to pluck it out and enter heaven blind than be in hell with our sight. His words on the subject are so strong, so hard to read. That makes me feel uncomfortable when I read that. But we cannot escape the conclusion that forgiveness is serious. Forgiveness is our deepest need. Now, the most powerful argument that taking, for us to take forgiveness seriously is that Jesus himself took it so seriously that he died in order that we could be forgiven. Just take that in for a moment. I've just been telling you that you should be willing to die and all manner of other things so that you can be forgiven. But the truth is this, Jesus dies for your sake so that you can be forgiven. That's how serious it is to him. That's the truth that we can see laid bare in today's passage, today's verse. Jesus didn't come to heal a few broken limbs. He didn't come to make us rich or successful or comfortable. Jesus' mission on earth was a mission of forgiveness. And for that, he gave his healthy body to nails and a cross and a crown of thorns. He didn't have a house to live in or a child to watch grow up. Um, he didn't have an education or lots of earthly riches. He was, it says in Isaiah, despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He gave up his freedom. He gave up his heavenly comfort, his rightful worship, and even his life. All of that to give you the gift of forgiveness. And that thought that I couldn't get out of my head, that's what we're going to talk about today. So later in Luke, we read about a moment where a woman weeps on Jesus' feet and dries them with her tears and then covers them in perfume. I don't think we need to imagine 
very hard to understand why that is also a bit shocking, maybe even a bit degrading. At least it's a strangely intimate act. But the woman isn't trying to seduce Jesus. She's trying to express a deep love, the deep love of someone who has been truly forgiven. I think that our shock maybe says more about us than it does about her. So Jesus doesn't react with shock because he sees past our preconceptions and to the heart of the woman. He sees someone who has been deeply forgiven and so deeply loves. She doesn't care if other people see her as humiliated or degraded. She only has eyes for Jesus because he has forgiven her much. He has met her deepest need. She doesn't care about keeping as much of her wealth as she can. Instead, she offers an expensive jar of perfume to show the extravagance of her devotion. She is reckless in her affection, single-minded and sincere. And that can make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Maybe the source of our lack of comfort is that we don't understand the forgiveness of Jesus as well as she does. Maybe she is the one one of the people in the Bible who understands the most about the love of God. And that's why in this very passage, Jesus says that wherever the gospel is preached in the world, this woman's story will be told. There's a famous painting. Oh, there was one. Um, She was the woman washing Jesus' feet. She was forgiven much. And so she loved much. The thing is, we all have many sins to forgive, just like this woman. But I wonder if I love as much as this woman. I wonder if we realize it. There is an easy test. Love is the fruit of forgiveness. So do, do we love much or do we love little? We shouldn't try to trick ourselves into thinking that there is some type of forgiveness that does not lead to love. Real forgiveness always turns into the type of love that that woman shows in this passage. So we need to look today seriously at our lives because loving little is a serious warning sign. If we have no affection for Jesus and our lives do not reflect his life and our priorities are unmoved by his priorities, then I think the hard truth is that maybe we have little assurance of our salvation, of our forgiveness. And I think that's probably the most uncomfortable thing that I've said so far. But we can't afford to look away from that challenge because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It's important that we're forgiven because it's serious, right? If we look at our lives today and we see passionless, joyless, superficial relationship with God, then I'd encourage you not to ignore that feeling because if we're not forgiven, then we will spend eternity apart from God. But I also don't want you to leave thinking that your forgiveness by Christ rests on your love for Christ. Instead, we should understand that our forgiveness rests squarely on the love of Christ for us and the forgiveness which flows from his sacrifice for us. 
Our forgiveness is purchased wholly by his death. Only by his death. Nothing else. Nothing to add. Nothing to complete it. The death of Christ is complete. So don't walk away from that uncomfortable feeling. But even as you sit in that uncomfortable moment, remember that. Complete in Christ. Nothing to add. Nothing we can do. Our forgiveness is purchased wholly by his death and his resurrection. And we can add nothing to it with our love. The love we give only reflects the love that we have received. So receive it today. Receive it today. We're going to do that later. Receive it today. We all need Wherever we are on this scale, maybe you're sitting there and you're looking and you're going, I don't know what I'm doing here today. I don't seem to love much at all. You need to receive the love of Christ. Maybe you're sitting here and you have a life of glorious obedience, far in excess of my own. It's very likely. Still receive the love of Christ today. We need our lives to rest on his love alone to leave those old sins behind and to kneel in surrender at his feet. And you know, it's when we find ourselves weeping at the feet of Christ with that strange mixture of grief and hope and love that we can be sure that we, he will forgive us with the kind of forgiveness that bears the fruit of real love. The love that holds nothing back from him. Unashamed, uncompromising love which mirrors his uncompromising love for you. Only do not hold back today. That's what I think we can learn from the woman. Her sins were many, but they were forgiven. And yours can be too. If we pretend that we are spiritually healthy and righteous in our own strength, then... We are destined never to love Christ the way that this woman loved him. Like that woman, we need to abandon all conception of looking good in front of God and man, all of our good works and our self-righteousness, and come to him with the full measure of our failure, of our many sins. Because it's then that he lifts those sins. He takes them from us and he bears them on himself then we will be forgiven much and we will love much. But we must take our forgiveness seriously. I want to turn to some matters of application that go further than building our lives completely on the rock of Christ's love for us. That is the beginning. It is the foundation stone. And we must never, ever move away from that foundation So when you're listening to what the rest of I'm going to say, don't hear. And now we move on from the rock of Christ. We move on until we're as far away as possible and do our own work. Not at all. Come, stand on the rock of Christ and see what he will do in your life. So it's the beginning, but it's not the end. There is more. There is something to build on a foundation. No one sets a foundation for a house and then lives on that foundation, right? Christ will bring to completion the good work that he has begun in you, it says. 
So there are implications for the way that we deal with each other if we take sin and forgiveness as seriously as Jesus does. So let's listen to what he says in Luke 17. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The first thing we can see from these verses is that if we take our own sin seriously, then we have to take the sin of others seriously. It's an interesting feeling that, isn't it? Because I think a lot of us look into our hearts and we see with piercing clarity the things that we get wrong and how that should set us out before God outside of his love. But we're a little bit afraid of turning that gaze on someone else. We're a little bit afraid that we'll come off as judgmental or cruel to someone who is suffering the way that I think we know that we are. But the truth is that if we take our sin seriously, we have to take the sin of others seriously. So if we really believe that sin is serious in the way that we talked about, then it doesn't make sense to ignore it in other people. If we really think that sin is killing us and separating us from God, then how can we possibly ignore it in our church? I think there is a misguided idea in Christian circles that it is compassionate to ignore when people hurt us. I'm just wondering how many of you had something come to mind when I said that. A sin that you, you pushed down, you didn't think about it anymore, and you just remembered it. We sit, right, and we seethe when others disappoint us, or maybe we gossip behind their back, or maybe we just wallow in sadness. But actually, those passive responses to sin don't just hurt us. They hurt the person who sinned against us because we are withholding from them an opportunity to repent and receive the forgiveness of God. When we don't confront sin, we're leaving open spiritual wounds in our church which cannot be healed. You know, I'm sure, any action films in the house, right? I love Die Hard. And there's always a scene in the action films where the hero gets shot in the shoulder. It's near, normally near the end. And then he doesn't get it healed because it's not time. So he, pr he pushes on, he like flexes his biceps until the bullet shoots out. And then he goes and wins the day, right? I just wonder if that is how we're meant to live our own spiritual lives. Are we meant to be like that? So one of our brothers or sisters, you know, clips us in the shoulder and we hurt. Are we meant to tough it out? You know, the truth is that we're not action heroes and that those spiritual wounds don't heal in darkness. So over time, what we think of as grace, overlooking sin, turns into a church of walking wounded. Everyone is hurting, and no one knows why. And all because we weren't brave enough to see the sin of others as seriously as we see our own sin. You know, maybe we're a little bit afraid that if we call out the sin of another, that we will be called out in turn. 
And I wrestled with this preach as I wrote it. I thought, my word, if all the people that Mike has ever sinned against in this church form a line after this sermon, there will need to be a ticketing system. <laughs> so I was a little bit afraid, right? Because darkness is comfortable. But we cannot be both in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the sun. It says in Colossians that Jesus died to rescue us from one to the other. So we must resist the temptation to hide our own sins from God because of shame. But we must also resist the temptation to hide our sins from one another and hide the fact that we are sinned against. Each of those works to create a culture of silence around sin that damages our church. It damages our mission, our families, our friends, and us. You know, Jesus died on a cross in order that shame would be destroyed forever. So we cannot and must not submit again to the chains of that shame. We cannot and must not be the one who enables a brother or sister to do the same. We don't love people by allowing them to sin. Of course, it matters how we confront people. This can't become a charter for tearing each other down over every little thing. We need to confront people in a way that is direct, proportionate, humble, and loving. So by direct, I mean to say that we confront people rather than gossip about them. When someone wrongs us, the gospel says that we should confront them privately first. And then if they refuse to be reconciled, we might bring in a brother or a sister, maybe a life group leader, to mediate between us. And if they still will not repent, then in Matthew 18, Jesus says we'll bring that person in front of the elders of the church to have our, our case heard by people with greater wisdom and authority. And if they still won't repent, Christ says they shouldn't be in the church. It's a bit shocking. That's another shocking thing, right? Imagine throwing someone out of a church over something small. But of course, you wouldn't. Because the purpose of all of that is not that every little sin turns into a church-splitting disaster. The purpose of those is that we restore one another through repentance and forgiveness. We always handle things as gently as possible. And we always, knowing that we are flawed, submit to people with greater wisdom and authority than ourselves. So by proportionate, I mean to say that we should handle sin, the sin of others, in a way that is in keeping with what they've done. You know, so Jesus' emphasis in this verse is actually not on confrontation, but on reconciliation. He commands us to forgive one another. And the truth is that some things are easier to forgive. So we should be as free with our grace as Jesus is with his grace to us. We don't always need to demand justice and that our rights are preserved. We don't need to be heavy-handed and judgmental to be real about the way the actions of other people have affected us. By humble, I mean that we must always come with an attitude that 
we are also likely to be at fault. You know, the, the truth is that in a church full of sinners, we are often both sinning and sinned against at the same time. You know, it's a common deflection tactic. I do this. When someone comes and accuses me of sin, I go, no, you. <laughs> but a humble person is able, without succumbing to condemning or being and feeling condemned, both to confront someone about sin whilst also seeing that they may well have sinned. So the final thing we can see from these verses is that if we take our forgiveness seriously, we have to take the forgiveness of others seriously. We can't get away with simply treating the sins of others as important and then withholding mercy. Jesus talks about that constantly, consistently throughout the Gospels. He says in the Sermon on the Mount that if we refuse to forgive others, then we will not be forgiven by our Heavenly Father. Whoa. It's another shocking thing that Jesus says about forgiveness. I think the point, though, is clear. People who have been truly forgiven by God will truly forgive others. How can we know that we have truly forgiven someone? So I think the easiest way to know is if we forgive people the way that Jesus forgave people. So Jesus didn't wait for people to deserve forgiveness. Thank God. And he didn't wait for people to ask for forgiveness. When Jesus was nailed to a cross, he prayed for the Roman soldiers who were guarding him and mocking him. And so forgiveness can be painful when it's a one-way street. But it's critical because it is the foundation of freedom when we have been sinned against. When we are sinned against and do not forgive, we are not punishing the perpetrator. All we're doing is allowing ourselves to be enslaved by the sin that has been committed against us. So even if the only reason you forgive today is to release yourself from the burden of carrying around the impact of someone else's sin, then I think it would be worth it. But, of course, forgiveness is richer than that, right? You know, so another sign that we can lay aside of, of forgiveness is that we can lay aside our need for vengeance into the hands of legitimate authority. So most of the time when the Bible speaks about that, it is God himself. There were so many Psalms of David where he says, I give them to you. He's so angry. He just wants to give them a good shake, but he doesn't. He says, God Justice is yours. But it doesn't have to be God. It can be an earthly court. So there's nothing wrong with seeing justice done. And we can still pursue justice if we forgive someone. But it is giving up our need for an eye for an eye that helps us to know that we have forgiven someone. Because anger and pain can demand that we curse the people who hurt us. But when we forgive someone, we're letting that go. You know, it's important to say that forgiveness does not mean sticking around in a situation where we're being sinned against. 
It doesn't mean immediately trusting someone who has betrayed us. You know, so those are matters of reconciliation. And that can be a much longer and more difficult process than forgiveness. And the truth is, it's sad to say, it's not always possible to restore the things that sin has broken. And you know, if that's where you are today as you listen to this, it's a point which requires healing and support and love from other people. When sin breaks things in us, and it can't always be fixed, not every marriage will come back together. Some of them will be broken. And that's painful. And forgiveness may not fix that. But if that's where you are in that gap between forgiveness and reconciliation, then that's why your church family is here with you today. If during the course of what I've said, you've compared the level of forgiveness that I've been talking about to the level of forgiveness in your own heart and feel a tiny bit dismayed by what you see, then you should understand that it isn't possible for you to forgive your way into being forgiven. Because we just aren't that strong. I'm, I'm just not. I can't do it. I can't forgive Everyone who's ever hurt me until Christ loves me enough to forgive me, I just can't do it. But it is possible for Christ to forgive us until we forgive others. The transformation is powered by the grace of God. So the solution to our discomfort, if you feel it, can't be to lean harder on our own ability to love and forgive. Forgiveness is as much the fruit of forgiveness, then, as love is. We could say, the one who has been forgiven much, forgives much. And the reality is that we all have a forgiveness gap in our hearts, because we are still being changed by God as we speak. The only solution, though, is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I encourage you to repent today and come back to Christ. He is just as welcoming to you today as he ever has been. He loves you just as much today as he has ever loved you. And he is just as willing to share the life-giving power of his death and resurrection with you today as he ever has been. There is no need today to stand far off because he's calling you near. We all need to do that today. So I'm aware that all of what we've talked about today is pretty heavy going. You know, the reason for that is that sin and repentance and forgiveness are at the heart of the gospel. That's why Jesus takes them so seriously, is that Remember from the beginning, Jesus' mission is a mission of love and forgiveness. He comes to save the world. And that's why these are important, and that's why it's heavy going, because it's the heavenly nature that the Holy Spirit has put into us, wrestling against our sinful flesh. That is the, the uncomfortable feeling that we have today. So let's not move on from that. Let us come to Christ. 
Let him break that tension with the power of his death and resurrection. So all of that is um, so serious, right? I've been really serious. But what's really interesting is that Jesus gives it away so freely. When we were far off, even enemies of God, it says, that is when Christ reached his hand down from heaven and saved us. Of course, you know, the trade-off for that free forgiveness is the cost. It's the cost of that forgiveness. Jesus lived this perfect life, utterly free from sin and abundant in the loving kindness of God. Jesus never needed to say, I'm sorry. He never, led, he never once committed a sin that meant he needed to say, I'm really sorry for what I've done. I'm going to try harder next time. Or, sorry, rely on the grace of God next time. You should say that. He wouldn't say that. <laughs> but then, having lived that life that is so far away from what we could do, he gave all of himself for the sake of our forgiveness. He, it says, became sin. And being crucified so that we could become the righteousness of God. Forgiveness is given freely, but not cheaply. And the truth is, it is the same for us. It's not cheap for us to freely forgive each other. And it's not cheap for us to love Jesus the way that that woman loved Jesus. It is costly. It's costly to lay down our lives and our pride and our self-sufficiency and our sin and our shame and our addictions and our dreams and our brokenness, our strengths and our weaknesses. It's costly to lay it all at the foot of the cross in complete surrender. And it's costly to be real with our brothers and sisters when they sin against us. And it can be more costly to forgive them. But what I want you to go away with today is that it is worth it. It's worth it. Our love and our forgiveness are built on the foundation of the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Our discipleship is built on his life. If we're willing to trust in Christ and Christ alone and follow him and him alone and give our lives in service to him and him alone, we can be certain that he has given us his love. We can be certain that he has forgiven us. There is no need for that uncertainty which rests in our hearts. Christ comes to give assurance. And we know that we will share in that forgiveness. Not just sharing it in the sense of receiving it from him, but we will share it with those around us. And we can know that we will love him in return. So I'm just going to bring us to a close. Play some things. Why don't we all stand, um, and I'll brief, if you're able, and I'll briefly pray. And then we're just going to have a little time just to hear from God in your hearts, right? Because it can be hard to take all of this in all at once. 
And it can be hard to have those mistakes that we've made and the hurt that we've received suddenly feels like it's been wrenched up into our souls. But actually God is here today to bring healing and restoration and reconciliation and to make us whole. And nothing else can do that. And that's what I ask from you today, Lord. I ask that you bring your forgiveness and love right now upon your people. Lord, we want to receive from you first. Because the truth is, God, what we're about to delve into is not something that we can do by ourselves. We need you. Lord, we need you like the day that we first met. And God, I just pray that you will now begin to melt those hard areas of our hearts, God, where those wounds have turned into scars or where we have hurt someone who we should love, who is a brother and sister in Christ. Because God, the truth is that it's in your power that those wounds are healed. It's in your forgiveness that we forgive, and it's in your love that we love. There are some applications here. So the first is this. Today you may need to confront your own sin and receive forgiveness. You may need to confront your own sin and receive forgiveness. If your life is loveless, passionless, and empty, let's not walk away from that today. Christ is here. He's willing. He says it so often, I'm willing. God loves to forgive people. It's in his nature. He loves to love people. He is eternal love. So if you need forgiveness from God, I encourage you to do that. And the second is this. I think today some of us need to take a deep breath and confront the sin of others and forgive them. And you know, I'm not going to make you do that today if you can't, not ready for it. But I would encourage you to do it today. Because when we forgive others, we're set free. And we set others free. And we invite the love and forgiveness of Christ to abound in our church. So we can do those things now. We're going to have a time of, of worship and communion. And I want you, if you feel led by God during that time, to, to go to others if that's, you feel safe. Maybe bring someone with you and talk about sin and repentance with them. Forgive the people who have hurt you. Because we're going to do communion and Christ says if we are hurt by each other, we shouldn't come to the communion table lightly. We should resolve those thin things. And I started at the beginning by saying you'd have to take a, a ticket if you wanted to do a list of all the things I've ever done wrong. And I have not taken communion in this church before because I hurt someone. And that's fine. It's fine because it's better to receive that forgiveness from God. Communion will be here later in 10 minutes or be here next week. But our brothers and sisters, it's precious to forgive one another 
and have that reconciliation. Okay. Amen.